out in faith when we don't understand will. This is what Paul was told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when God told him, Paul, my grace is sufficient. When you're weak, don't worry. I got it. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's V-L-C-C-A-Z dot org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Can I tell you, I never go to church without expectation. Uh, And I learned that from David. David said, "I, I lay my request before God, and then through the day, I expect God to respond. I expect God to answer. That's what God's word promises. This last few weeks, we have been on a journey. And it's a journey that answers a question, tries to answer a question, because it's one of those questions that I could preach on until Jesus returns and really never fully answer. And that is how to live a life of faith. What does it really mean to live a life of faith? We we are on three or four uh, different radio stations every Sunday morning and uh, uh, I went out this morning, I was listening, and, and they were just, uh, you know, the messages were just ringing through and literally going into thousands of people's homes here in Flagstaff that may never come through those back doors. Folks, I, I, have, I have no, I mean, I, 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 th- I want everybody, I should qualify this, I want everybody to come to church. I want everybody to come to this church. I know what I preach. I know what this church preaches. But I have no delusion that that's going to happen. That's not why we do the radio. We do the radio because my interest is more than filling the chairs of victorious life. I'm interested in filling the pews of heaven. Okay? Come on, yes. And there are a lot of people that may never grace this building with their presence. But by God's grace, one day at the gates, they'll say, hey, I never came to church, but I went to church with you every Sunday. And when you were preaching that one sermon, I gave my life to Jesus. Folks, that's what it's all about. Two words I want to hear. Well done. Let's jump jump right into your notes this morning. Faith, on this journey that we've been on, today's message is titled, Faith is not believing God can but it's knowing that God will. Okay, now put your notes down and look at me. Why do you pray if you don't expect God to answer? Why do you go to church if you don't expect God to change your life? Why 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 do you stand up for Jesus if you don't expect God to use you to affect somebody else's life? Why do you go out of your way to make a way to let somebody know there's a whole lot more happening in your life than just punching the time clock and going through the motions? If we don't believe that God will do what we believe that God will do, what are we doing it for? Why don't we do like Paul said, just let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die if there is no resurrection. If I can throw a double negative, if nothing is for nothing, then why do something? Well, folks, living a life of faith is not just believing that God can, but it's knowing 
It's knowing that God will. If you ever want to get your life together, or if you've gotten your life together and want to keep it together, there is only one way to do so. And that is that you and I have to learn to live a life of faith. A synonymous word for the word faith is trust. Another synonym is the word belief. And we've talked about this many times during this series. Trust, faith, and belief come from the same Greek word. The same root word in the original language. If you and I say we have faith, that means we're trusting God. If we say we're trusting God, that means we believe that God is going to do what he said he would do. Can you say amen? Amen. You see, the only way that we can make sure that our lives work the way they're supposed to work is to have faith in God on every level. And so this morning, I want to take a very small passage of Scripture, and I want to teach you the three things that if you and I will do, I guarantee your life of faith will, will, will grow exponentially. I guarantee that your walk in Christ will grow endlessly. I guarantee. Pastor, how do you guarantee it? Because I don't believe God can. I know God will. And God said if we'll apply his word to our lives. I think somebody's getting this this morning. If we'll apply his word to our life, our life will be transformed. Proverbs chapter 5, if you, or 3, if you have your Bibles. Okay. Now, we put all of our sermon notes on the screen, but I always encourage you folks, bring your Bible with you. I, I was having a, 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 as I shared it, Will and I drove to Phoenix yesterday. We had a, a memorial service to go to, and, and uh, Will wanted to go, and, and I wanted to go, and so we drove down together, and, and we were talking about these things. And one of the things that we talked about as we were driving was Bible reading. And he, like most men, hate to read. I say most. There's some guys out there just, they devour books. Okay, like our assistant pastor, Pastor Ray. I mean, that guy, bookworm. I mean, it's just, yeah, just, you give him 800 pages and by noon he'll ask you, you got another one? Maybe not quite that fast, but I always told God, you know, when God called me to pastor, I said, God, are you sure? I read one book in my entire life, and it was only because I had to, to get a school grade. And I know if you go to pastor, you got to read. you got to read a lot, especially this book. I said, God, I don't like to read. Folks, I've read more stuff than I ever thought I'd read in my life. But I was talking to Will, and I was talking about the Bible. And, you know, he talked about he listened to the Bible on, on, it's not cassette, Bible on, it's not on tape, CD, thank you. No, 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 it's on MP3, it's on thumb drive. Y'all think that I'm not up to date with all this stuff. And so he's listening, and I said, I said, Will, that's wonderful, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It feeds your spirit, and you grow. You put, a, you put uh, the Word of God, and it's reading to you all day. Your spirit is growing. You are learning, and yes, you are knowing and memorizing. Okay? That, it gets into your spirit. But there's something about opening your Bible. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I know where lots of things are in the Bible. I, I, can, I can quote scripture, you know, probably better than most. But there's sometimes I just, I know, I know what it says, but I just don't know exactly where it's at. But you know what? I can pick up my Bible and I can turn to the book of Proverbs. There it is. I can turn to the book of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever, Zechariah. There it is. I can turn to the book of, of Matthew. There it is. So it's important for you to read your Bible, okay? So bring your Bible to church. And when I say open the Scriptures, open your Bible, then let's do that. Let's take some time and let's open the Bible, okay? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him, 
and he will make your path straight. Okay, let's say that again. Matter of fact, it's on the screen. Read it out loud with me, would you? Everybody together, here we go. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In these two simple verses, verses 5 and 6, I believe are the key to living a life of faith. The first thing that we find in this passage, he says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. What literally the word of God is telling us is not knowing how all things work, you and I must learn to look to the one who works all things. Because I don't know how everything works. So I have to keep my eyes focused. I have to trust in the Lord with all of my heart and stop trying to figure this thing out. Are you with me? Got three amens. We got to trust and stop trying to figure this thing out. See, the life of faith is not difficult until we try to make it simple. Semesters, it is simple, isn't it? Yes, it is. But in our carnal reasoning, we make even the simple difficult. How many know what I'm talking about? Someone has said that when life gives you lemons, you need to learn how to make lemonade. Well, folks, get good at making lemonade because life is full of ups and downs. And I can tell you there are more downs than there are ups. And throughout Proverbs, the scripture tells us very clearly and very succinctly that we need to learn how to look to the one that makes all things work. We see throughout the scripture in the book of Proverbs this truth. Life will take unexpected turns. And we will not and should not expect to understand the why of all of it. I was reading Oswald Chambers, one of the great men of God of years gone by. He's gone home to his reward. And and in this passage, in his, his book, Running Today's Race, he had a whole section in there how a lot of people think faith, when I have faith, that means I get delivered from things. When I have faith, that means what what is will be no more because I have faith. I cannot tell you how many people say that if you're not healed or if this doesn't happen, that doesn't happen, oh, it's because you lack faith. Folks, I understand that Jesus told the disciples at times, oh, ye of little faith, or where is your faith? But in context, he was not saying they had no faith. We talked about last week the faith we don't understand until it is tested to see how much we have. Well, Oswald Chambers said, faith for my deliverance is really not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is still in control that God is still Lord, that God is still love, that God is still on the throne. And then he concludes his statement by saying this, there are some things only learned through a fiery furnace. There are some things only learned as we go through the water, as we go through the trial, as we go through the difficulty. In fact, the worst thing we can do is try to handle things on our own. When things happen, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't understand, and they will, this is where we have to trust that God is fully in control. We have to come to that place of of, of certainty. God, you've got my 
life in the palm of your hand. Now, now let me share this, folks. I left this in your notes. It is okay to say, God, I don't understand why this is happening. God, I don't understand. Why did my business fail? Why did I lose my job? Why did my friends do what they did? Why am I dealing with these health problems? Ladies and gentlemen, it is okay to ask God why. But we also have to step back and inject our faith and say, God, I know that you know what's going on. And that's where I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk in the fact that I know that you know. See, I don't only believe that God can. I know that God will. St. Augustine said God does not expect us to submit our faith to him without reason. But the very limits of our reason is what makes faith necessary. God doesn't have a problem with you and I asking the hard questions. But God says, will you trust me? Will you stand in me? Will you believe me? Will you have faith in me? And not just go out and try to make it happen on your own. See, this is what Abraham didn't do. God had made him a promise and Abraham was childless and God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make you a great nation and all the nations of the earth through you are going to be blessed. Well, 25 years come and go and I don't hear the pity, pity patter of little bitty feet. And so Abraham and Sarah, well, Sarah kind of takes it on herself and says, hey, Abe, I know how to take care of this thing. I got this handmaiden over here. And she can give us the promise. She can give us the son. Ishmael was born. I just kind of imagine God. Congrats, Abe. Hey, good to go. How's that working out for you? Oh, Sarah and Hagar have a little friction, are they? Hmm. Congrats, Abe. Yeah, you got it put together, didn't you? How many ever, ever, uh, you knew God wanted to do something, but you got a little impatient and kind of jumped out and did it yourself? Okay, this side of the room isn't listening much. Anybody on this side of the room? Okay. I can just picture God said, yeah, good job, baby. I got, yeah, that's good. Abraham and Sarah thought they had it all figured out. But their understanding of how God works was far more limited than God's. See, God had a plan. God had a plan. George Mueller said, faith doesn't operate in the realm of the possible. And I want you to hear this in light of what Adam, uh, Abraham and Sarah did. Abe's get up there in age. Sarah's up there in age. You know, child production, you know, stops at certain ages. So they figured out they'd have their own plan. Abraham and Sarah, they they worked it all out. But can I tell you something about God's plan? God's plan is always greater than you could ever imagine. And God's plan does not operate in the realm of the possible. You see, there is no glory to God in the things that are humanly possible. Faith always begins where man's power ends. Let me say it again. Faith always begins where your abilities end. And God said, I'm not worried about you being able. I just want you to be available. 
Am I making sense this morning? See, God had a plan bigger than they could ever imagine. But they weren't focused on God's plan. Now listen to me. I'm going to step on a few toes for a moment. They weren't interested in God's plan. They knew what they wanted. And they always thought patience was spelt N-O-W. They weren't focused on God's plan. They didn't put their trust in God. They put their trust in their limited ability to work things out according to their limited understanding. Sarah knew, hey, I can't take care of this, Abe. I can't give you the son. I know God said, but reality persists. You know, someplace in my Bible, I think if you look, you'll find it in yours. It says what's impossible for man is possible with God. You see, when we don't have or can't get it figured out, it is there that we must trust that God has his plan already in place. Now, we know the outcome of the story. Disaster ensued. Hagar and and Sarah, they parted away. Hagar ran away with Ishmael to a foreign land. And Ishmael's sons and Isaac's sons have been fighting ever since. What you see battling in the Middle East started when Sarah and Abraham decided to do it their way. Some of the struggles in your life is when you decide to do it your way. Well, pastor, I prayed. But did you wait for God? Yes. Until the car dealer called and said, my loan was approved. Why does it matter that your loan's approved? Did God leave you alone to do this? You see, there's things that may be happening in your life that you don't understand right now. But I'm going to make a statement, and I left it in your notes, and I want you to underline this. You don't have to understand for God to still be in charge. You don't have to understand for God to still work it all together for the good. Many things are happening in your life that you don't understand right now. But if you're going to have the victory in your life, you have to be able to walk out this walk called faith and know that God's plan is bigger than your plan. God's ways are higher than your ways. God's thoughts are better than your thoughts. Things that are happening. God said, will you trust me? Will you believe me? Will you have faith? Folks, a little faith will take your soul to heaven. But if you'll stand firm with a great faith, it'll bring heaven to your soul. Why? Because faith is not merely holding on to God. It is knowing that God is holding on to you. And you know what? God will never let go. God, if he took you to it, he will walk you through it. I love that about God. We, we see the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar builds this great monument, this great golden statue, and says, everybody has to bow down and worship me or die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look at each other and say, you with me as I'm with you? You with me as I'm with you? And we with him as he's with us. Hey, Nebby, ain't bound down today. Could you picture that? All of Israel bowed down. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Don't look like my God.
Well, because Nebuchadnezzar was kind of favorable to these guys, they were Daniel's friends after all. And we all know the story of Daniel. He didn't want to just do what he said. He said, I'm going to throw you in a furnace, and I'm going to burn you to death. And so he, he figured, well, they probably didn't understood, understand. It's like us pastors, you know, when we work with folks, and, and you think they got it, but then they go do it, and it ain't what they're supposed to got. You scratch your head and you pray. So Nebuchadnezzar said, tell them, you know, maybe, maybe they, didn't understand, they didn't understand it in the natural language. Tell them in Hebrew. Make sure they know exactly what we're saying. So he sent the special envoys, envoys out there to, to talk to them and tell them the thing and, and make sure they fully understand. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they looked at each other and said, oh, yeah, we understand. You know, when, you, when, this, when the sack button and the, the different instruments and all these different things sound, you know, you're supposed to bow down and worship. Oh, yeah, we, we got it. We got it. So they went back, told Nebuchadnezzar, said, they got it. They're on board. All the instruments sound. All of a sudden, everybody bows down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at each other and said, you with me as I'm with you? You with me as I'm with you? Are you and me with him as he's with us? Nebi ain't bowing down today. It don't look like God. So Nebi was furious. He said, heat the furnace seven times worse. The furnace was so hot that the mighty men that bound them, arm, feet, and hands, and threw them into the furnace, the fire was so hot it killed them. Well, he throws them in the furnace. Remember, they're bound. They got all kinds of problems. And they're, they're probably walking around in there like this. Well, God, I know you're with us, but we're kind of in a little pickle here. You know, I'm not into the snow, but the tropical heat's a little hot. And then all of a sudden, somebody showed up in the fire with them. And the Bible says it looked like the Son of God. I wonder how Nebuchadnezzar knew what the Son of God looked like. You think God might have been talking to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream or two? And so Jesus was in there and he said, hey, boys. What y'all bound up for? Don't you know who the sun sets free is free indeed? And so now they're in there enjoying the summer sun. Nebuchadnezzar looks in there. Didn't we so throw three in there? And they're all walking around. But there's four. And the other one looks like the son of God. Oh, I think I'm in big trouble now. Now listen to me. That's not the best part of it. You see, God didn't keep you out of the fire. God didn't keep you from getting bound up in all of your own stuff. Now don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about now. We wonder sometimes, why am I going through what I'm going through? And God's just asking, why did you get yourself into what you got yourself into? And God said, okay, even in your little mess up, I can still fix it up. He loosed them, but he didn't take them out of the fire right away. You see, I think God sometimes wants us to learn who's standing in that mirror. Will and I were talking about that mirror. That's why, that's why he was laughing. See what this mirror is? This mirror is what I'm pulling out anytime I want to see what stupid looks like. I just stand right in front of him and say, yep, that's me. Because most of the time, we're the ones that get us into the mess that we got ourselves into. No, it isn't the devil, folks. If you're a child of God, he ain't that powerful. Okay? And so I just look at that mirror and say, okay, God, that's me. I'm the man. Please forgive me. And then God loosens the chains as we sang this morning. But then he sometimes I think he lets us just kind of kind of cool off in the heat of the moment. But then you know what God does? He takes you out of it 
And the Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. You know what God does? He takes you out of it and helps you to feel like you've never even been there. See, that's what the life of faith does. Am I making any sense today? God has promised to bless your life. That's God's promise. Maybe you don't fully understand right now how it could possibly be taking the events of your life and turn them into a blessing. You may not understand it, but God does. The second thing, God has promised that he'll use you in a way that brings him glory. That's why sometimes he'll let you get yourself bound up and thrown into the fire. That when he brings you out and the people see that you're victorious on this side, even though you weren't so smart on that side, what happened? And you can say, God took what the devil meant for bad and he used it for good. And he could do the same thing in your life. God promised that he'll get you through if it brings him glory. And maybe we don't understand how he could possibly use a life that we have messed up so much. But I want you to hear it again. You don't have to understand. Here is where you need faith. It is here that you have to trust that God is working out what he's working in. I've flown a lot of airplanes. I've, I've traveled almost a million miles doing missions work and, and doing in, incredible stuff around the world. And I, I used to be perplexed when I was young at that because how the heck did these guys fly at nighttime? Now, we have some pilots in the, in the church and, uh, and some mechanics that, that not only work on them but fly them. And, and that was always one of those intriguing things. I mean, I have hard enough time walking around the dark. How do they fly in pitch darkness? Because when they're up 20, 30, 40,000 feet, it's a lot darker than it is down here. And so they're flying. And, and uh, so I used to wonder, and I found this little story about it. And I figured, well, you know, those planes have headlights. Doesn't do a whole lot of good. That's not how they see where they're going. Well, I learned very young in my, in my travels because I, I would go invade the cockpit once in a while. I said, how do you guys do this stuff? He said, you see this whole maze of gauges up here? That's how we get you from here to there without running into something between here and there. And so they go by these gauges. They go by these, this panel of instruments that show them where they're going and what they're doing. And these gauges are massively more reliable than the pilot's own ability to follow directions. Aren't you glad? I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, I've flown over the Rockies a lot uh, in different travels and stuff. And I'm glad that the pilot didn't come on the intercom and said, well, folks, I think the mountains are to the left, so we're going to steer to the right. No, they, they knew where the mountains were. And how many can say amen that you're glad of that? Amen. Well, the reality is I want a pilot who knows how to follow that instrument panel because that is reliable. I want a Christian that knows how to follow this instrument panel because it's a lot more reliable than feelings, than emotions, than sensations. Like I said, I've done lots of traveling, and I was flying out of Kenya, East Africa. I, did a, I was there for several weeks, and on the way back from, from Kenya before I left, don't put it up yet, Bob, uh, uh, the airplane was four hours delayed in Dar es Salaam, which is in Tanzania. And so I'm sitting there in the, in the area waiting for the airplane to come, and, and uh, they tell me that what happened is the uh, the uh, radar, the avionics, not the avionics, the, the radar system, everything that controlled the plane had gone out. And they couldn't take off until they got the radar working because they got nowhere to go. Well, they got the radar working and they, they got it all taken care of and, and they made it to, to Nairobi about four hours late and they got there and it's a British Airways plane. And, and I, I looked all over the internet I couldn't find a British 
Airways plane, but I found a plane that was similar. Uh, and don't put it up yet, Bob. But I, I was leaving Nairobi, and all of a sudden, we went into the most horrific storm that I can imagine. I mean, it was just, the plane was just climbing and dropping and climbing and dropping. I mean, just all, it was just really rough. And I thought, my goodness, because I traveled enough. I know the, the pilots know how to get above the storm and go below the storm. They know how to maneuver this thing. All of a sudden, I hear, I hear this, this noise and the, uh, uh, the air sound of the outside of the plane just, just exploded. I mean, it just got really loud. I'm in the, the top part. It's a 747. And as I'm, I'm not in the top part because I'm in first class. It's a cattle car, folks. They just fill it with every seat. There's no first class. There's no business class. They're just seats. And so I'm up in the top part, and, and this is just, I mean, it's just loud. And I said, well, praise God. He's finally he's coming up above, above the storm. He's going to get us out of this thing. Well, the noise never subsided. Well, I found out why. And this is kind of a picture of what the plane looked like when we landed in Nairobi. We took a direct hit from lightning and the storm and the nose cone of the plane. It was about a third more than that was blown off, which is why the air noise was so, so high. It was hitting a flat surface. And so when you're going, what, 500 miles an hour or whatever they're doing, it gets pretty bad. So this wasn't, this isn't a British Airways, this is Alitalia, but, uh, that was similar, except it was on the other side of the plane. And when I got off, British Airways was curtaining everything up, you know, because they didn't want anybody taking pictures. They didn't want anybody doing anything because it's a bad image for the airplane and for the company. So I didn't get a picture, but I was able to sneak through the crack, and I saw the nose cone of the plane literally obliterated. And I'm thinking, well, there tells me the story. But I heard the people talking about it saying that this kind of thing is really detrimental to planes. They don't fly real well all the time when you get this kind of damage because it could have tore the front of the fuselage off, just tearing it away. Another time, I was flying out of Abidjan in West Africa. I fly from Accra in Ghana over to the Ivory Coast. The capital is Abidjan. And... We get in the 747. Once again, folks, the, the more people you can get on it, the, the cheaper the airplane can fly, and the more people can get to a destination. So I'm on this plane, and I'm coming out. We finally take off, and it was delayed. They had engine problems. Engine problems. Engine problems. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm on, I'm on the Ivory Coast. I'm over in West Africa. I guess I could swim. I could take a boat, maybe a bus. Well, we take off. We finally get up in the air, and this 747 banked. I didn't know a plane could bank that sharp, but he banked so fast to take us back to the airport. You know why? Engine problems. So I'm sitting there, and I happen to be on the side of the plane where, where the engine problems were, and I have my window open, and I'm looking out there. I'm thinking, okay, well. What's going on here? And I see them open the hood. Well, they got to work on the engine. Okay, they open the hood. But then they got a little startled because the mechanics had a big long four before in their hand that they were beating the engine with. I just closed the window. <laughs> this is where faith comes in, church. When I, every time I fly into a third world country or any place else, I have a lot of faith that those folks know what they're doing. People ask me, and you still fly? Folks, I could tell you stories that would cause you to never get in an airplane again in your life. <laughs> I'll tell you just one more. A lot of these happen in Africa. I was, I was preaching in Nigeria in Lagos, and then I had to go from Lagos over to Uyu, which is over next to uh, 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 the Congo. And so I get on this plane. This plane, It's called Chichangi Airlines. Go look it up. I didn't know 
an airplane could hold so much duct tape. And it was not carrying it in boxes. It was holding the inside of the plane together. I <laughs> get this thing. I'm thinking, God, is there some other way to do this? And, you know, God, just trust me. So I, I made it. I'm here. But, folks, it, faith, faith doesn't mean you're going to get delivered from things. It means you sometimes are going to go through things. But taking a step of faith, folks, our own understanding will not get us through life. Stepping out in faith when we don't understand will. This is what Paul was told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when God told him, Paul, my grace is sufficient. When you're weak, don't worry. I got it. Will you all give me 10 more minutes? Okay, how many give me 10 minutes? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I've done that so many times, and I get them every time, Pastor Ray. I, I just, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Every decision that we make, ladies and gentlemen, has to be weighed against the Word of God. To live a life of faith, every decision, say that with me, every decision we make. There's not a single person in this building I can almost guarantee that it would not say that God's guidance in making major decisions is critical, like a career or a marriage or a move or something like that. Folks, but I want to iterate what I've said before in the book of Proverbs. Acknowledge him in everything. Proverbs 3, 6. Acknowledge him in everything, in all your ways. It's not just the big decisions, folks. We need guidance in every single step of our life. Girls, guys, you want to start dating? Don't just flip through the one ads. Don't just show up at a bar somewhere. Well, he looks good. Oh, yeah, he does. He looks really good. She looks. Folks, looks can be deceiving. When I met my wife, you talk about a knockout. Woo. She looked at me and said, oh, he'll do. <laughs> See, I could say that because she's not sitting here. <laughs> or she would have been the first one to shout amen. <laughs> he'll do. We dated for almost two years. Because I knew the call of God on my life. And I knew one of these days I was going to be pastoring again. And I knew that if I got hooked up to the wrong lady, it could destroy all that God wanted to do. So we dated for a long time. Oh, I knew instantly because God had showed me that this was the woman I was going to marry. But we still dated because we got to know each other. We got to learn each other. Folks, when you're dating, you're going to get married. You're going to have a family, a career, personal life, finances. Folks, God's input should play a major role in every single area. Leaving God out of one area could call destruction in every other area. There's other stuff in your notes. I'm going to start working through some things so I can get you out of here. People say, well, Pastor, why do you have to do that? Folks, I really try to respect your time. I really do. And um, all, we're talking about living a life of faith. All decision-making, God wants to be a part of. God said, would you rather be a part of what I'm doing or do you want to try to make me a part of what you're doing? Now, I know some of us sit back and say, well, God, this is not my natural inclination. What you want me to do is not the easy choice. Tell that to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Tell that to Daniel when he was invited to dinner at the lion's house. 
Some of you will get that when you leave. See, the reality is God wants it his way. And if we want it the right way, we have to make it his way. Just real quick, let me continue on here. Number three, we don't know what tomorrow holds. So we have to walk in such a way because we know who holds tomorrow. So let's go back to Proverbs. The first thing he said, trust in me with all of your heart and stop trying to figure this out. And the second thing, you want to live a life of faith? The second thing he said to do, acknowledge me in everything you do. Put me first. And you know what God says? He said, if you'll do your part, I'll do mine. He said, I will make your path straight. Now, I think it's interesting when I look up that word path, or some of your your uh, Bibles will say he will, he will uh, uh, direct you, make your path straight, different things like that. When I look up that word straight path or direct path or those different things in the original language, the main concurring word is he will make it manageable. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He didn't keep them out of the fire. Remember Daniel? He didn't keep them out of the lion's den. You remember all the different struggles that the children of God, God didn't keep them from. He said, but I'll make it manageable. I'll shut the lion's mouth. Don't worry. I'll throw some air conditioning in that fiery furnace. Don't worry, guys. I got it. God, you don't know what's going on. God said, I got your back. Don't worry. Just keep walking. Keep trusting. Keep believing. God said, if you will do your part, I will make your path manageable. You see, ladies and gentlemen, for some of us, our journey isn't like walking in the sunshine. It's like stumbling in the fog. God, what's going on? Where are you at? What's happening? For some people, the future doesn't seem bright at all. It seems cold and dreary. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the time to develop a walk of faith. This is the time to learn to trust God. If your future seems uncertain, he can handle it with certainty. He said, I'll make your path manageable. You say, well, pastor, why doesn't he just clear it out? Let me, let me, let me tell you something. And you know this, but sometimes when we're in the middle of the forest, we can't see the trees. Okay? We know that God can do this. Why doesn't he? This is Wednesday night Bible class. I take five minutes waiting for your answers. But it's not. Why doesn't he? The answer is really simple. We live in a fallen world. We gave Satan dominion. And even Jesus himself said he is still the God of this world. And God has to allow certain things to happen because it's not time to throw them in the pit. The fallen angels. Remember when Jesus stood there on, on the, the, uh, on the, uh, uh, the Gadarenes coast, the demoniac came out of the mountains, possessed of a thousand demons. And the demons said to Jesus, Jesus spoke to the demoniac, the man that was possessed with a thousand legions, what's your name? Can I tell you something? The devil never wants you to stand toe to toe with him. Do you know why? When you stand toe to toe in the power of God, he knows he has to surrender. He knows he cannot stand his ground. What is your name? Jesus asked the demoniac. And they responded. He said, we are legion for we are many. And then the next statement was, do not torment us before our time. Satan, the demons, the world knows there's a time clock ticking. And their time is running out. Well, folks, until that time, we're going to still go through stuff. But thank God, we're going through it. We're not living in it. Can somebody say amen? He said, I'll make it manageable. He said, there's a day coming where it's not going to be manageable. It's going to be 
completely the way I intended it originally. Luke 3 says every mountain will be filled and every, or every valley will be filled and every mountain will be made low. The crooked shall become straight and the rough ways will be made smooth. Ladies and gentlemen, when you live a life of faith, God makes your paths manageable because the enemy knows now who's walking through it. He gives you a sense of identity. It ain't just me. It's me and Jesus we're walking through. You see, a Christian has the capacity to understand who he is, more so than the rest of the world. When you and I are a child of God, we understand that our roles are multifaceted. We understand that we play defined roles before God. You see, when you are a child of God and you're a businessman, you're not just a businessman. You're a businessman. You're a husband. You're a father. You're a leader. You're a counselor. You're an ambassador for Christ. And the list goes on. When you're a businesswoman, guess what? You're not just a businesswoman. You are a businesswoman. You're a wife. You're a mother. You're a leader. You're a counselor. You're an ambassador for Christ. And the list goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are a child of God, the capacity you have is insurmountable in the things you can do. But you've got to step out of the boat. You've got to step out of the comfort zone. Living a life of faith means that you don't have to try to make sense of all the areas in your life because I'm serving the one who's making sense of it for me. Can you say amen? amen. Hudson Taylor was the founder of the Inland China Mission many, many, many years ago. And, and as he was traveling on the boat to his destination to China, he was going by Malay Peninsula and Sumatra. And all of a sudden, the captain of the boat came down to where Hudson Taylor was. And he said, I I heard you're a man of prayer. I heard you're a man that believes and understands God. And the captain said, well, I don't want to alarm you. But we have to set our sails. And we have no wind. And the current is taking us towards an island that we know is inhabited by cannibals. So if you are a man that prays, it's time to pray. And Hudson Taylor, listen to what he said. He said, Captain, I will pray. But first, you must set your sails. And the captain didn't want to look like a fool before his people because there's no, there's, no there's no wind. There's no need for the sails. Well, Hudson Taylor said, no sails, no prayer. He said, God answers my prayers. Well, the captain reluctantly went up and set the sails. Within 45 minutes, he had to come running back down. He says, stop praying. We have more wind than we can handle. (laughs) But the captain, an unbeliever, had to do something. For you and I to live a life of faith, we have to step out of the boat. We've got to step out of what we know to do what we don't know. We have to leave what we were to become what we've never been. This is the fact of your life and mine. Living a life of faith is trusting God and trusting God that he understands. And the understanding that he has is if we will obey, he will do. Isaiah 43, as the worship team comes. Verse 16 says, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, made a dry path through the sea, speaking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. He said, I am the Lord that called forth the mighty army of Egypt and all its chariots and horses. He said, I called them forth. And when they were all out in the waves, I caused the waves to close up. And drowned the entire army. Snuffing them out like a smoldering wick. But forget all of that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Maybe you've been here. You've been there. You've been through that. You've been through the other thing. God said it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something new. He said I've already began. Do you not see it? 
I'm going to make a pathway in the wilderness. I'm going to make a manageable road through the wilderness. And I'm going to create a river in the wasteland. Living by faith and trusting God. It's like the guy that was using a parachute. He was going to jump out of a plane for the very first time. And and he talked to the the guy running the parachute and running the plane and all that kind of stuff. He said, how do I know this chute will open? The man said, only one way to find out and pushed him out of the plane. Now that's funny. But the only way you're going to know the faith works is you've got to take a leap. You've got to take a leap. There was a world-renowned tightrope walker all over Europe. He would walk and all of a sudden, this, this entrepreneur in Canada thought, man, if I could get that guy over here to walk across Niagara Falls. So he hired the guy and brought him over, and the tightrope walker was there. And he said, sir, I've never been to Niagara. I've never been to America before, but I'll come. Lots of promotion. They set the whole thing up, the tightrope walker. He was going to start on the Canadian side and come to the American side. Well, drums were rolling and, and all the band was playing. And he comes across a rope that is suspended between the treacherous falls, blindfolded. Makes it easily. Well, he finds the promoter. And he begins to talk to him. He said, Mr. Promoter, now do you believe that I can do it? Because the promoter was a bit skeptical, even though he saw all the activity in Europe. He said, Mr. Promoter, now do you believe I can do it? The crowds roared. And the promoter said, yes, of course I do. I just saw you do it. No, said the tightrope walker. Do you really believe? Do you really trust? Do you really have faith that I can do it? Well, of course I do. I just saw you do it. No, 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 said the tightrope walker. Do you really believe I can do it? And the tight, and the, Mr., the promoter says, yes, I believe you can do it. Good, said the tightrope walker. Then you get in the wheelbarrow. Then you, do you really believe God is the author and finisher of your faith? Do you really believe that in Christ you can do all things? God's got a wheelbarrow. And he said, why aren't you in it? I want to take you places you've never been. You just got to trust me is all. I want to get you directions you've never seen. You just got to trust me. Will you get in the wheelbarrow? God, I believe you can do it, but, but I'm not sure. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In everything you do, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. That's how you live a life of faith. That's how you live a life of faith. And for some in this room, it's time to get in the wheelbarrow. It's time to take the control out of your hands and give it to the only hands that really can do something with it. I wonder if we could bow our heads just quickly this morning. Pastor Tim Masters. 
with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harden. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.